Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host, the Insider of the Insiders, Tyler Kuehl, bringing you another playoff preview episode of the Canadian Hockey League, as this is now the third round, the conference finals for some, semifinals for others. But before we dive into it, please get in the conversation by using the hashtag the Kuehl Podcast or tweeting us at the Kuehl Podcast on who you think is going to move on to their league Finals. We'll preview each of the three leagues, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Western Hockey League, as we've done the previous couple of rounds. And boy, we've had a lot of news in the last few days, of course. A lot of couple of upsets here and there, a couple of pretty lopsided series. And of course, we're in, I'm not just talking about the NHL either, let me tell you. It has been, I mean, an crazy week. We I did the show on Monday by myself. Alex is... We're trying to get one later in the week because obviously we have a lot to talk about with what happened in the NHL. But of course, a lot happened in the last couple weeks in round two of the Canadian Hockey League playoffs. So we'll get into that here. First, we'll start off, of course, with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League as we go east to west, or yes, east to west across Canada, right to left if you're looking on a map. But we'll first start off by talking about the top seed, the best team in the entire CHL, the Roy Naranda Huskies. The Huskies had a really easy time against Victoriaville. I mean, we talked about how they did against Schwinnigan in round one, how they how the Cataracts won their first couple games in over a month, and did the Huskies, you know, their weaknesses, were they taking it easy, were they complacent, blah, blah, blah. Well, this series, they didn't show it one bit. The Huskies ran through the Tigers in four games. They, they didn't even give them a chance. So they make it to the conference finals, or at least they assume they look to make it to the President's Cup Finals for the third time in franchise history, making it on here. And the Tigers, defensively, the Huskies, they look good. Yes, in only four games in against a, lops, against a, a very big underdog that the Tigers were, you shouldn't give up a whole lot of goals. But then he always said the same thing about that when they played Schoenigan. But like I said, the Huskies played a lot more focused, a lot more simple. They bared down. They only allowed three goals. I mean, of course, Samuel Harvey was the, the deal-breaker for that. He was the big guy to make the, the saves, and he's been good all season. A little, like I said, a little bit of a slip-up against Schwinnigan, but he looked a lot better, a lot more confident. Noah Dobson and Justin Bergeron led a really tough blue line. Dobson, of course, he continues to put up the points. Peter Abdenato, I mean, I keep saying his name every time we have him talk about the Huskies, but eight more points in the series. He's, he leads the all-playoff scoring with 21 points. And Joel Teasdale actually looked really good, too. I mean, he had a big game four. He had a hat trick. I mean, having that depth scoring, like actually having Abdenato set up everything, be the big playmaker that we've seen him to be, is important. Having him keep going. Like I said, having Dobson come on offensively, that's huge as well. But having Teasdale get in there and score some big points for the Huskies, that's going to be huge here going, not just this series, but if they make it to the finals as well. For Muski Oceanic, the lowest seed remaining now, they had an easy time as well. Despite being a three seed, they've had a very easy go of it. They played Cape Breton. They beat them in five games, meaning they're the only team right now that's left in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League to have only one loss this playoff. I mean, that's not that's not a that's not by a, a chance either. That's not by pure luck. I mean, this team is actually really good. Yeah, they started out a little slow to start the year, but Lafreniere came on big. We talked about Colton Ellis, of course, and the depth scoring, Jimmy Huntington, Olivier Garneau. We'll get to him in a second. Getting those guys playing well 
is really what led Ramuski from the middle of the pack in this league towards, towards the top of the Eastern Conference. And I should mention, of course, as you can tell, that Ramuski being an Eastern team, Ryan Noranda being a Western team, that's the reason why is because when they get to the conference final, they reseed all the teams. So that's why the Huskies are playing the Oceanic, and we'll get to Drummondville and Halifax later. That's why those two teams are playing. They don't just stick in the conference because, like we said before, before the playoffs started, conferences are obviously offsetting, so they have to make sure it's fair, at least when it comes to these conference finals. But talking about the Oceanic in their second round, Lafreniere was big. He had eight points in round one, of course, like we said before, and he had 10 points in the second round. So he's averaging, still averaging two points a game in these playoffs. In nine games, he's got 18 points. That's pretty good. I mean, like I said, he's probably, he's easily right now going to be, he's predicted to be the top next, the top pick next year. Excuse me. Sorry, it's early in the morning here and I haven't had my coffee yet here. Got a busy day ahead here on this Wednesday. But, Olivier Garneau really stepped up as well. I mean, he is an overage winger. This is his last chance. But against Screaming Eagles, looked really good. Had eight points. And you know what? Colton Ellis gave up eight goals in this series against the Screaming Eagles. But he still looked really good. He had a 936 save percentage and a shutout in game three. I mean, like I said, you give up, yeah, you give up eight goals in three of the, game, three of the four games. It, it, it doesn't look too good. You know, people question, you know, how the defense, whatever, especially since Ramuski outplayed Kate Brent quite a bit. But Ellis, when he needed to, he made the big stops. And that's why when they go up against the Huskies in this series, it's going to be huge. I mean, this this could be a series that could go seven games, but it easily could go four. I mean, it's going to be tough this series for the Oceanic because the Huskies, during the regular season, the Huskies, of course, they were world leaders throughout. But in the four meetings between these two teams, the Huskies won all four of them, and they outscored Ramuski by a margin of 20-7. to seven. And, you know, neither team has really had a tough opponent, would you say, per se? I mean, like I said, the Huskies had Schwinnigan, and then they had Victoriaville, and now Ramuski's had, had Shakutami in the first round, and now Cape Breton. So this is going to be the toughest test for both these teams. I mean, obviously, you get to the conference finals. Yes, you're playing the best team each series as it keeps moving along. But man, it's going to come down to Colton Ellis. Yeah, Harvey's an exceptional goaltender, and you know he's going to be there for Aranda, but if Ramuski wants a chance in this series, obviously you need the offense to produce when they're able to, but Colton Ellis is going to have to stand on his head. However, it's going to be extremely tough for Ellis because, like I said, in a matchup of the goaltenders, you look on paper, yes, you have Harvey by far being the favorite goaltender in this series. Do I think that Ramuski will keep these games close? Absolutely. However, I just don't think they're going to keep them close for long. That's why I think Roy Naranda is going to win this opening series in five games. Staying in the Western Conference, we have the Drummondville Voltagers, the second best team in the Western Conference, second best team in the CHL as well. They're coming into their first conference final since 2010, and they had an easy job, easy series against Gatineau. They beat Sherbrooke in five games in round two, and Drummondville's offense was at the forefront once again. 16-5, to five, they outscored the Phoenix in the five games, or excuse me, the first two games, pardon me. And Sherbrooke got a win, and then game four and, I mean, game four and five, Drummondville took the series over and got the job done. And they did an overtime, too, in the second overtime of game five, Maxime Comtois getting a big goal. 
Yes, I know people in Canada would have liked a bigger goal in, back in January, but that's in the past. Keep moving forward now. But Felix Lazon was actually really good as well. Uh, you know, he's from Roxon Pond, Quebec. He scored five goals and two assists in this series. I mean, big-time goal scorer in this series. He's going to have to keep that up moving here down the stretch. I mean, you have Pavel Koltagin, who, who had a really good series. Didn't have the greatest round one, but has really stepped up. Again, Sherbrooke. The national prospect had eight points in the five-game series, which led all of Drummondville. And this offense, like I said it before, I wrote about it during the season, this is probably the one of the best offenses in the league. They outscored, I think they had the most goals for in the entire CHL. When I wrote it back in the regular season, they, they had that. I'm not quite sure off the top of my head right now. But, I mean, having guys like Valeno, of course, up front's huge. But, you know, you have Dawson Mercer who's chipping in with some points on getting some, creating some plays. Uh, Gregor McLeod as well. I mean, yeah, sure, Nicholas Bodine and Nicholas Guy have not been huge in terms of pro- offensive production, but they've been big on the back end. But, man, it's going to – I like the way this Drummondville offense is clicking right now because it's not just one guy. And I, you're, I'm going to sound like a broken record, folks, and, yes, it's going to sound annoying, but depth kills in the postseason. It's huge. I mean, those are you watching the NHL playoffs. You see it all the time. You see third and fourth lines picking up big minutes and big moments in these playoff games. Same thing in the junior ranks. It's going to be tough, and I, I am going to enjoy how Drummondville keeps it going here into round three. The Halifax Mooseheads did a really good job. I mean, after almost getting knocked out by Quebec in the first round, they, they refocused, had a quick turnaround against Moncton, who looked like a team that could easily have made it interesting, but the Mooseheads just played. They played the way they looked in the regular season. They looked like the third best team in this league in this four-game series. Three of the four games, though, they were really close. Don't, don't knock Moncton for all they had. They were only, three of the four games were determined by two goals, but because of empty netters. So pretty much one goal games. But they were able to get the job done quickly. Now they have a little bit of rest going in to this weekend's game one. I mean, Raphael Lavoie, once again, big score for the Moosehead. Six goals in the series. But he had a little help too. Antoine Moran, was he was a big part of the production against Moncton. He only scored four points in the entire seven-game series against Quebec. However, he had seven assists in the four-game sweep against Moncton, showing that he is really turned. He's really capable of creating offense. Yeah, you know, there's always those shots from the outside that get knocked and rebounds going, but you're creating scoring chances. You may not be getting all the goals. You may not be getting everything, but he's creating the chances. That's what the biggest part is for this Mooseheads team is having guys that, yes, you have the natural finishers like Lavoie, like McIsaac, but we'll get to him here in a second, but having guys that create the plays, that's even bigger. So, like I said, Drummondville and Halifax, this is going to be an interesting series. Because like I said before, Halifax doesn't need to win. They don't need to win the President's Cup to get the Memorial Cup. They're hosting. So, but that said, looking at it, regardless of that fact, you have two very talented offenses coming in. Like I said, Drummondville has the depth. Valeno only scored three points against Sherbrooke. But he's going to have a he's going to really need to step up. And like I said, any team that goes up against Halifax. I mean, right now, it's funny. If you're in Aranda going up against Ramuski, if you win, you're cheering 
for Halifax because that means you don't have to win the President's Cup because if it, if it comes down to that, for those that don't know, if the host team makes it to the championship, the finals, the team that they play automatically gets the bid with them because whoever wins, like if the host team wins, that means the runner-up gets to go to the Memorial Cup. So nonetheless, beside the point, it's going to be tough for the Mooseheads to keep it up. I mean, like I said, Lavoie had to be relied on in round one, but Moran stepping up really helps out and gives optimism for this Mooseheads offense here in round two. But Jared McIsaac, I mean, he looked really good in his own zone, of course, as he is all season, but he's going to have to step up offensively if Halifax wants to keep up with their depth scoring against the Drummondville scoring. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. They only played twice in the regular season, given that they were in different conferences. Both teams, only the road team won both the games, so not much to look at in terms of what happened in the regular season. But like I said, I, I love the way Halifax played in that second round. They played a lot more intense, a lot more like playoff hockey. And you know what? Despite the, Like I said, despite them not having to win to go to the Memorial Cup, they're preparing themselves for the Memorial Cup. I mean, like I said, you you may end up playing, I mean, you, of course you want to play the minimum four games in the Royal Cup, but you may end up having to play five. I mean, it's it is it's very tight. It's very intense. But like I said, I think with Drummondville's desperation to get to the finals, where Halifax does not have that, that's why I think Drummondville will get this series done in six games. Moving over to the Ontario Hockey League, there were a couple of series that were Let's just say interesting, to say the least. First, we'll talk about the top team in the Ontario Hockey League, the Ottawa 67s. Let me just say this. The series, as you guys probably remember, when I picked the Sudbury-Ottawa series, I picked Sudbury to lose in seven games because somehow Ottawa was going to pull it out. I thought the matchup between DiPietro and Lukanen was going to, Uko Pekka Lukanen, excuse me, was going to be a marvelous showing. We did not get that at all in the four-game sweep for the 67s. And not just because Lukanen played bad. Yes, DiPietro did get a shutout in Game 3, or Game 2, excuse me. Neither goaltender looked good in this series. I'm going to say it right now. Lukanen even got pulled in Game 1. He got pulled after giving up 5 out of the 8 that the 6-7 scored in Game 1. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I just, I did not think this was going to happen. But then again, like I said, it's hockey, it's playoff hockey, weird stuff happens. DPH allowed 12 goals in the four games, or so 12 in three of the games, like I said with the shutout in game two. Lukanen had 18 goals against in his four games played. I mean, it was, d- despite it looking like a goaltender duel through, f- through the series, it turned into an offensive shootout between six sevens and the Sudbury Wolves, which if you look at the Wolves offense, as you can tell, as you saw, that's why Ottawa's here. Sudbury's offense just could not hold up with the 6-7's offense. Speaking of which, Ty Fellhaver, third in the league in scoring, led the team during the regular season, only tallied three assists against Hamilton. Looked really kind of sluggish, maybe not quite used to the playoff intensity, but man, did he look good in this series. He had nine points in the four-game sweep, a hat-trick in game one, and the series clinching goal in the third overtime, mind you, of game four to send the 67's into the conference final. And Kyle Maximovich, you know, we didn't talk a whole lot about him in round one, even though we should have, because he missed the first two games of the series due to a suspension. He had four points in games three and four against the Bulldogs, two points, and then he had 10 points in the four games in round two, leading the 67s. I mean, this team is just 
just so good. And you know what? I I never said I was going to ever doubt the 6-7s, but I just didn't think without DiPietro, I just, the team in front of them, yes, the 6-7s were in first place when they acquired DiPietro from Windsor earlier this year. But for some reason, I just felt like they weren't going to be able to get it done in the postseason. This team has not, this franchise has not had a whole lot of success in the postseason. It's been a very long time since they've been in this spot. That's why I didn't think they were going to get there. But this team has come together and gotten the job done. That's what's going to really make this series interesting in the conference finals, if the 6-7s can even get there. I think the last time they made it this far was 2012 when they had Peter Morazic leading the way. So... That said, Ottawa's looking good, and you know what? I think if you haven't taken them seriously yet like I have, I think it's time to take them seriously now. The Oshawa Generals. Let me just say, the Generals, I love watching them play. I love the city of Oshawa. I've been there before, been to the arena, great people. And, of course, with the jam plant closing down, there's been a lot of hardships over there. I did not think, that, that's not why I didn't think they were going to win, but I didn't think they had enough to hang with the Ice Dogs. I mean, look at the roster that the Ice Dogs possess going into this, not just this series, but the whole playoffs. I mean, of course, Jason Robertson, Jack Sidnika, Matt Bersar, Philip Tomasino. I mean, there was so much offense. I mean, Akil Thomas as well. And you can just go down the list of how deep this offense was for Niagara. And by golly, the Jennies got her. I mean, Niagara dominated the first two games at home. The first two games of the series is all Niagara. But then Oshawa just bunkered down and reeled off four straight wins. I mean, let's be honest. Kyle Kaiser was huge. He allowed eight goals in games one and two. And then he only allowed seven the rest of the series. This kid's amazing. I mean, you know, he did sign with Boston as a free agent. So whether or not he does get that inevitable jump to the NHL with Boston, who knows. But man, he's really bumping up his stock his prospect stock. And, and like I said, goaltenders take always a long time to mature, giving, you know, you never really see any 19-year-old goaltenders get thrust in the spotlight like this. Unless you're Mikey DiPietro, who is on a Vancouver team that's, or Vancouver franchise that's struggling to find health, healthy goaltenders. But Kaiser just looked really good. He looked a lot more solid. He looked like he was playing the regular season. He is hot. He's on fire. Made some really big stops. Stopped in offense. And let's be honest, too. The last few games of that series, the Jennies were hanging in there with the Ice Dogs. It wasn't like the first couple of games, Niagara really took it to Oshawa, but the, by the by games five and six, the Generals were, they were even in shots pretty close to it. The chances were about even as well. They were playing a complete game up and down the, up and down the ice. I mean, you know, Brandon Sajan, of course, leading the offense, but you have Kyle McClain chipping in. He scored on, he got on the score sheet in five of the six games and he led the Generals with seven points in this series. This team is confident. I mean, yes, you, I mean, of course, you make it to the second round. You were supposed to. But, man, that this Generals team going in this series, their confidence is riding high after beating one of the best teams in the league, not just in their conference. And now they're going to have to do that, try to do that again against the best team in the league, the Auto 67s. Now, where the 67s had it, they dominated the first two series pretty easily. You beat up Sudbury pretty all right. You beat Hamilton. But now you're going up against a Generals team, like I said, that is playing hot. They're playing well. The whole team's playing well up and down the lineup. But, I mean, if the 60s, if the 67s can't beat Kaiser, I mean, like I said, we're looking at another great goaltending matchup. Kaiser and DiPietro, 
you know, and I, I'm not going to say it's going to be like that again because I said that against Sudbury in Ottawa and Sudbury fans are probably cursing me right now because of it. But DPHO didn't look the greatest. Like I said, I know Kaiser had a first, for his first two games were pretty tough, but DPHO didn't look dominant at all in this series. Like I said, it was a wide open series. Crazy things were happening. So that could be an outlier if you're taking a survey when it comes to this, but, but the offense bailed him out. Whether or not they do that again, I think Fellhaber's really finding his groove. Like I said, having the depth guys behind him. I mean, Austin Keaton hasn't done a whole lot. He's going to need to step up in this series. But Kyle Kaiser, if he keeps his game up, man, I mean, we, we see it with, you know, with, with Columbus. Sergei Bobrovsky looked a little shaky early in that series, but found his groove and absolutely shut down the bolts. So if Kaiser can keep up his game, six sevens are going to hard, have a hard time finding goals. If DiPietro can find his game, the Generals are going to have a hard time scoring goals. So this could be a low-scoring series, but then again, like I said, both offenses are capable of lighting the other goaltender up. DiPietro's going to have to be huge. Kaiser's going to have to be huge as well. They only played four times in the regular season. Ottawa won three of the six, three of the excuse me, eight times. Ottawa won three of the four games in Oshawa while the team split while the, both games in Ottawa. So home ice advantage really doesn't matter going into the series, despite Oshawa's probably going to be rocking. Ottawa's, Ottawa and Oshawa is probably going to be rocking. Man, I hate to call this series saying Ottawa and Oshawa like that. Eventually you're going to get them mixed up like that. But that said, I really think the 6 7 will be able to pull it out, but Oshawa will make it interesting. This series was going to go seven games to the 67s. Looking over at the Western Conference now, and we're going to start with the elephant in the room. The London Knights were up 3-0 on the Guelph Storm in the second round series. Last night, the Guelph Storm came from 3-1 down in the game to throttle the Knights 6-3. Two goals by Mackenzie Entwistle, two goals by... Isaac Ratcliffe, goal by Nick Suzuki as well. I mean, Guelph, they built this team. They traded the farm to get this team to make it to this point. I mean, Sean Dersey had a couple points as well in that game 7-2. But guys, this team is legit. I did not think they had enough. I didn't, I mean... Yes, they coasted by Kitchener in the first round, but when I saw them meet London, I'm like, you know what? Finally, reality is going to set in for this Guelph team, and it's going to be. And I, I was ready to rip into the Guelph management to say that it's just like everyone else. You sell the farm to get one, hopefully one good year, and you flame out in the playoffs. I've seen it before. It'll happen again. And I, th- I was ready to do that when London went up 3-0. Now, yes, I thought when Guelph won game four at home, I'm like, okay, fine. They can get one at home, get the home crowd a little bit, some little optimism. And they won against in London, game five. And they went back home in game six and beat them handily, too, in game six, by the way, six three as well. And they get to game seven. I'm like, all right, London's up three one. And I'll be honest, guys, I was on Saginaw's website. We'll get to them in a second. I was ready to buy tickets to go watch London play Saginaw. I was ready to go do it. When I saw the score, I'm thinking, all right, Coy's going to shut them down. You know, Bockfist and Bouchard are going to step up. If you mean just Bouchard. But then the darndest thing happened. The Storm, with all pun intended, stormed back in this game. Five unanswered goals to beat the Knights. I mean, and the funny part is, too, Guelph needs a win like this to try to bump up the franchise's stock, if you will, or build up their their credentials, their credibility to get guys to come play for them instead of having to trade for them. Because it doesn't matter if the Knights, 
you know, lose like this, or if they lose in the conference final or lose in the first round even. I mean, even when they were bad in the mid-90s, they were still garnering grade-A prospects because they know with the Hunter brothers there, they're going to have a good chance to make the NHL. I mean, I've talked to many people that are on the outside, guys. You know, I've talked to scouts at Owen Sound, scouts in Kitchener. Kitchener's a little bit easier, of course, with the big, being a bigger market. But even all the guys like in Sarnia, too, they say how tough it is to attract good prospects from not going to London. There have been guys that have been drafted. I mean, we saw it this year. I mean, Peterborough wanted to draft Mason McTavish here, but he doesn't want to sign there. And the, the point of the matter is that players who are who have it set in their mind that they are good enough to go play somewhere else or play in a bigger market where they can get a shot in the NHL, they'll try to do it. And that's why Guelph had to trade for guys like Suzuki for Dursey and assets like that. But having a game like, having a series like this is big because you show that you can get the job done, yes, with incredible talent. I mean, Suzuki looked really good in the series. He was kind of, I don't say he was absent in round one against Kitchener. I mean, he's only a four-game series. Not a whole lot to really get yourself going. Yeah, he was held pointless in the first two games, but then had 12 points in the next five games. He was big. Ratcliffe had seven points from the series, which were, and by the way, I should have mentioned that he had an assist in game one, and then he had six points in games five, six, and seven. And like I said, including the two big goals in game seven that tied the game and then put them in the lead with Ratcliffe from the blue line. Dursey assisting on two of them as well, like I said. Man, I'm still in shock, I'll be honest with you. I did not think the Storm team was... I knew they were good. Now, I'm not going to knock that. They had the talent, of course. But I did not think they had enough talent to win four straight against the Knights. I couldn't tell you, though. I don't know if... Did the Knights even lose four straight during the regular season? This London team was supposed to make it all the way. It was going to be Ottawa and London in the finals. But no. The Storm threw a wrench into those plans. The Saginaw Spirit are entering their first ever conference final. The team that, started, that came into the league in 2002 has never made it past the second round. And here now they have the biggest opportunity. And they had a really, really interesting series against the Sioux Greyhounds. They won game one, 4-1, decent score. Then they put 10 goals up on the Greyhounds in game two. Won a barn burner 7-5 game in game three. Then the Greyhounds somehow won games four and five. Four of, I think game four was a shutout as well. The Spirit somehow, the offense that had put up, I believe, 21 goals in the first three games got held to zero. Made it a little interesting, but then they were able to get the job done in game six. So now they're in the conference finals. Owen Tippett, I keep, we keep talking about him. Big pickup by the Spirit at the deadline. Nine points against the Greyhounds, all of them in the first three games, mind you. Ryan McLeod looked really good as well. He had two goals and two assists in game two of the series. Total of six points, so obviously consistency may be an issue, but I like to think that the Spirit offense is going to rally around, and they're going to have to rally going up against a Guelph Storm offense that just handled the best team in the Western Conference during the regular season. So... Nate Schnard's gonna have to step up. He had, a, I mean, he had a decent series. I'm not gonna knock him there. But look at the look at the talent that's gonna be going up against each other. You have Tippett, McLeod, Brady Gilmore for Saginaw against Nick Suzuki, Isaac Ratcliffe, Nate Schnarr. I mean, up and down the lineups, there's gonna be opportunities for players to really step up, and they're gonna have to. I mean, 
Ivan Porvitov and Anthony Popovich are going to look like Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks. You're strapped to the net and hope it hits you because they're going to get pelted with shots. I mean, whether or not the defensive strategy for these teams will adjust, I don't know because we may be looking at games where there's 90 shots between the two teams. It's going to be wide open, fast, exciting hockey. We're going to be seeing 6-5, 6-5, 5-4, 7-6 games. I mean, it's, it's going to be tight. It's going to be a lot of scoring. If Guelph can pull this off, it's going to have to come down to using Saginaw's penalties and get them in penalty trouble. Saginaw has the most penalty minutes of any team in the playoffs right now. Guelph's power play hasn't been staggering given the talent they've had. It's only 21.4% coming into the series. Saginaw has a sub-20% power play, so Guelph... I mean, obviously, you do want to stay out of the box with the talent they have. I mean, they could easily explode their power play can, but that's not really in the back of their minds, I would think. But the momentum swings are going to be huge. Both teams, as we saw throughout both their series, can score in bunches, in many bunches. But, like I said, just being able to withstand waves of momentum. So, like, if Saginaw gets four in a row or a couple goals in a row back-to-back, can the Storm come back or vice versa? That's what's going to be the biggest thing to watch here in this series. The regular season didn't really have much to say either. They split the four games between the two, with both each winning a game on the road. So once again, home ice advantage compared to with the regular season numbers don't really matter. Guelph has a lot of emotion, but I think it's it's gonna they're gonna it's gonna burn them out. Coming from four games back, you're trying to get against a team that is a little more well rested than Saginaw, despite like I said, winning in six games. I think the emotion and the the intensity and the adrenaline that Guelph's been running on through the second round. It'll be great early on in the series, but I just think it'll flame out. And I think the spirit will make it to the Robertson Cup Finals for the first time in their history in six games. Now we move over to the Western Hockey League. And there were some, I don't want to say interesting series, but there were a couple teams that should that well, at least there's one team that should that is here and now in the conference finals that I did not think there was going to be. We'll get to them here in just a second. So, once again, we'll start off with the best team in the league, the Prince Albert Raiders, a team that was going to be historically the greatest team in the history of the CHL, and then the World Juniors happened and stopped all of that. They had a little more work to do compared to their first round against Red Deer. Prince Albert did after sweeping Red Deer in four games. It went up against Saskatoon, who I thought was going to give the Raiders a good run for their money. Kirby Doc was playing fantastic for the Blades. Really, like I said, continuing to up his stock, his draft stock. I was kind of nervous going into these playoffs with Doc, by the way. Didn't know if he was going to be a top 10 pick or how he's going to perform in the playoffs was how he was, where his draft position was going to be. The way he's played... No question. I think he's going to be easily top five. I know a lot of people are saying, like, well, he should have been top five before. I'm like, you know what? He hasn't been producing a whole lot. He hasn't looked up to par that he did early on in this season. But in these playoffs, he's really, really stepped up his game. So that's why I think he's going to be a top five pick. Obviously, it's a bummer that he's done. But they were going up against a really good Raiders team. I mean, they had once Prince Albert, they kind of let him back in the series, the Blades. They won games five and six to get the job done. Uh, Dante Hannon, Hannon, excuse me, had a, a dominant series, had 10 points in the series, including a hat trick in game six in the clinching game six. 
which now ties him with Davis coach for the Vancouver Giants for the lead in playoff scoring. And Brett Leeson, you know, he was pretty quiet in that first round. Has really not been the greatest in the second half of the regular season as well. But nine points in the series, eight assists, you know, obviously not scoring as much as the pace he was early on, but getting points, getting scoring chances, creating scoring chances, building confidence. That's going to be big here if the Raiders want him to be at the top of his game going in to the conference finals and hopefully the Ed Shinoweth Cup finals. The Edmonton Oil Kings coming out of the Central Division had, I don't want to say an easy time against Calgary in four games, but it's a good thing that the series only went four games. Edmonton only won, the, the first, I mean, except for in game four, the first three games were all one-goal games, including overtime wins in games one and three. I mean, if this series had gone any longer, the Oil Kings would be drowned out because I thought Calgary was going to put, and I'm not saying Calgary didn't put up a good effort, but I thought Calgary was going to be able to get a win here or there to extend the series to make it a little interesting because I thought Calgary, the way they came out of that Lethbridge series, they had a lot of, they're riding high on momentum, but as we, as I said with Guelph, I mean, the, see if they flame out here in this third round, Calgary just, they bottomed out come game four. I thought, I think that overtime loss in game, I mean, losing overtime in game one, I think gave Calgary a little confidence, but then losing game two and then game three on home ice in overtime, that deflated the hitmen, allowing the Oil Kings to get the job done in the shortest amount of time. Jake Neighbors was big, scored the game winner in game one, which was the second goal of the game. He had another goal and two assists in the other three games, so he looked pretty good. Looked very confident as well. He stepped up his game a little bit. And credit Dylan Miskew. Dylan Miskew, who got yanked during the series against Medicine Hat, came back and had re- it was really, really good. Picked up a shutout in Game 4 to clinch the series and only allowed four goals in the other three games. I think that's Big confidence for this goaltender. And now they're going up against the Raiders, and he's going to need that confidence. I mean, Ian Scott, like I said, and one and the one win for the, the Blades where Saskatoon won game three, won nothing. Scott looked amazing. Ian Scott. It's going to be tight. It's going to be tight between the two, I think. You're going to have to expect Miskew to have to play really well if he wants to hang with Scott. But for Edmonton, Trey Flix-Wolanski, who was literally, I mean, yes, like I said, four-game series against Calgary, not a whole lot of time to put up a whole lot of numbers, but he only got a single assist against the Hitmen. He's going to have to really pick up his game if the Oil Kings want a chance because I think the Prince Albert lineup, despite you know struggling kind of down the stretch to keep up with their pace they set in the first part of the year, is still dominant. Their offense is still up to par. And they picked it up in that series against Saskatoon. You know, they dealt with a little bit of adversity there when the Blades made it a 2-2 series. So having to go through that kind of will help them going into this series. I mean, Wyatt McLeod, Connor McDonald are going to have to be big on the blue line for them as well, for the Oil Kings. They're going to have to really step up, help out their goaltender as much as they can. Of course, like I said, miscues need to be huge. But coming down to it, the Oil Kings, let's be honest, have not played a tough team like the, like the Raiders have in this playoffs. The Raiders, like I said, easy series against Red Deer, had to go up against Saskatoon in the second round, showing that they're mortal, but having to fight through it will help the Raiders going into the series. Edmonton hasn't really had that. They, yes, they had Medicine Hat in round one, but they got through it. Now Calgary 
in round two, had an easy time with them. And I just don't think the Oil Kings have the firepower. Whether or not Fix Polanski steps up his game, in the long run, Red Prince Albert has more. And that's why I think the Raiders are going to move on to the finals with a five-game series win. The final series here on in our CHL preview, third round preview, the Vancouver Giants and the Spokane Chiefs. Yes, I say Spokane, leave me alone. Vancouver waltzed past Victoria in four games. And once again, Coach Michael Dick splitting minor and 10 deck. Now, at this point of the playoffs, how many coaches will be doing that? The answer is not many. And it's not like I haven't played bad either. Now, granted, yes, Miner had a, had a shutout in game one. However, allowed four in game four. But four goals on 20 shots. But Miner still looked good in game one. Tendek looked good in games two and three. So... I mean, I don't know who I'd pick. If, if I mean, if it's working, go with it. Keep splitting the goaltenders. I, I don't see why not. Both teams, I mean, both goaltenders have their confidence, and I think having them both playing well pushes the other. I mean, I've gone through with experiences with other goaltenders, well, backups, whatever, 1A, 1B situations, that when one goaltender's playing well, it pushes the other to get better. So having Miner and Tendek both playing well is not hindering either of their confidence. It's giving them motivation to play better than the other, which is helping the team in front of or in front of them. So that said, go with it. Keep going with it. So, I mean, if you're if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So the Giants are going to fix it. Jared Demetrio offensively, he really stepped up his game in the second round, where he led the team with six points in the series, including a goal and two assists in Game 4. And like I said, the Giants' defense is going to be the big part moving forward here. Talking about the Chiefs, who probably, and I, when I, I know it's funny, when you read my article on Puck 77, I said one of the biggest upsets in these playoffs, and that was before the Guelph beating London deal. But the Everett Silver tips, I had going to the finals. I had them going up against the Giants and winning, because Why? Dustin Wolf is number one. And the team in front of him has been incredible well as all season. So having Spokane go up against them, I did not think they were going to do it. However, they whooped the Silver Tips, the Chiefs did. Five games series. I thought at least it would have gotten seven. It seems like, like Everett just kind of flamed out. They burnt out by that by this series. And man, I Spokane looked like the dominant team. So it's the first time Spokane's made it to the conference final since 2011. And they're looking to make it to the finals for the first time since 2008. That was the year that they won the Memorial Cup as well. And Ty Smith had a much more offensive round, like I said. He looked he looked really good, obviously, in the back end in the first series. Didn't put up a whole lot of points this series. He is able to do both, showing what he had during the regular season. He picked up five assists against Everett, including a pair of Game 5. And Bailey Birkin, holy cow, going up against Dustin Wolf, he looked like the better goaltender. And I thought I would not, before the series, I would not have said that. I thought Wolf was going to outdo Birkin, not by a landslide, but I thought he was going to play a little bit better. 
But the team in front of Wolf, I just didn't think looked good. So Birkin came on, was looked he looked really good. Only allowed nine goals in the series, stopping 135, 144 shots. Had a 181 goals against average in the series. Boy, Spokane really made a believer out of me. They took care of him, which makes me think, what do they still have left against the Giants? Both teams didn't have long series, so both teams are going to be well-rested going in here to these conference finals. But can they do it again? I mean, if Birkin can keep it up, absolutely. Spokane's offense, I'm not saying they're off the hook, but they're not going to have to be, they're not going to have to bail their goaltender out. And once again, it's going to come down to the goaltenders, and goaltenders, I mean by three, because obviously Tendek and Miner, they're probably going to keep splitting. And if it keeps, like I said, if it keeps working, keep her going, keep her moving. Birkin's going to have to really step up his play. Like I said, it's that time of the year where you're going to have to, where any mistake could be a serious killer. The Giants won both games in Vancouver during the regular season, while the two games in Spokane saw the Giants get one while the Chiefs getting the other at the Spokane Veterans Memorial Arena. Offensively, yes. The Giants do have the better team. But the Chiefs, they're going to need Riley Wood to step up. They're going to need Jared Anderson Dolan to step up. They're going to have to be the best they can be. I hate to say it like that, but there's no room for error against the Giants. Their defense is solid. The offense is timely. And the same for the Chiefs as well. But I just think the Giants, the Giants, I think, are just the better team heading into the series. The Chiefs, though, I think will make it interesting. But like I said, both teams are arrested. The Chiefs came off by smacking the best team in the United States division, the second best team in the West. But it'll certainly be a tight series. I really think that the Chiefs will make it interesting. They will make it tough. It will be a long series. However, I just don't think the Chiefs will be able to get it done in the end. And the Vancouver Giants will move on to the Ed North Cup Finals after a seven hard-fought game series. So that wraps up our conference final slash semifinal preview here for the CHL playoffs. I am excited to see who makes it to the finals because, once again, I mean, I'm hoping for a little bit more tighter series compared to some of the ones we saw in round two. But anything's possible. It's the playoffs, man. I mean, you may see Spokane win in a five-game series like they did against Everett. You may see Ramuski cakewalk through the Huskies, which, oh, that'll be very interesting. Hey, if the Blue Jackets can do it, why can't the Oceanic? If Guelph can come from 3-0 down from London, why can't they make it past the Spirit? Who knows? The playoffs are fun. I'm intrigued to see how it goes and who makes one giant leap closer to making it to the Memorial Cup, which is in Halifax. We will, when we get to that point, too, we will have extensive coverage. We will have previews for each of the teams. I'll be writing a lot, doing individual articles for each team going to that Memorial Cup as well. A lot of coverage as well. We'll be definitely all over that here on the Kiel Podcast and on Puck 77 as well. I encourage you to also go on Puck 77, both Puck77.com and Puck 77 en Francais to get all of the best writing about the game and a lot of fan takes as well as a lot of insider takes as well, including not just for myself, but others that write for Puck 77. 
I'm intrigued to see how this playoff series plays out. It's going to be tight. It's going to be fun. Be sure to use the hashtag TheCuelPodcast to talk about this episode and tweet us at TheCuelPodcast on who you think is going to make it to the President's Cup Final, the J. Ross Robertson Cup Final, and the Ed Chinoth Cup Finals. It's going to be interesting. Folks, thank you for listening to another episode of The Kuehl Podcast. I'm Tyler Kuehl saying so long, and we'll see you next time. Ah!